And now, Nurse Talk, where laughter's the best medicine. Brought to you by the California Nurses Association and National Nurses United. Here are your hosts, Casey Hobbs and Shane Mason. Welcome to Nurse Talk, where laughter is the best medicine. I'm Casey Hobbs. And I'm Shane Mason. And we are two of the thousands of nurses on duty this very day. Well, Shane, it might not be raining men, but it's raining nurses, and I sure do love that. Thank God it's not raining men. That would kill me. Our profession is in the news everywhere, and may I say it's about time. I'm just so sorry it took uh, this Ebola outbreak to make that happen. Casey, that's right. And as you and I and our listeners know, we've been talking for about five years about the fact that in the race for increased profits, our U.S. hospitals have oftentimes, more often than not, really put profits before patients and nurses. And this very issue is being exposed by the lack of preparation and education in hospital ERs that has been exposed in the past month. Now, don't get us wrong. We are nurses, and I myself have been in the profession for longer than I care to say, 37 years. And I love the work I do, but the simple fact is our healthcare system in the U.S. is broken, broken, broken. It's not getting better, folks. It's getting worse. The only thing I've done for 37 years is breathe and eliminate. <laughs> Key points, Shane. <laughs> Key <But> points. <laughs> Casey, I, I too love uh, what, I, what I do, but I think that our healthcare system is broken. And honestly, I'm all for profitable business, but healthcare should not be driven by profits. I'm talking mostly about these mega hospital corporations that answer to stockholders instead of patients. And sadly, most hospitals are mega hospital corporations. So all of you nurse leaders speaking on behalf of the 3.2 million nurses in our country, and most of all, on behalf of your patients, I want to give you a great big thank you, and please keep it up. Your voice is always welcome here at Nurse Talk. So, hey, good show today. A little later, we'll have the esteemed Deborah Berger with us. As some of you know, Deborah is an RN and co-president of National Nurses United. Lately, she's been very busy on almost every progressive talk show on the air and recently testified in front of the Congressional Committee on Oversight and Government Reform. Nurses are interested in a mandate directing every hospital and every U.S. health facility to immediately implement the optimal precautions in both personal protective equipment and proper training. We'll talk with Deborah about a petition that is circulating to do just that. And Shane, we so love the interview that healthcare reporter Jeannie Lynch did with Dr. Stephen Russell about the bionic pancreas trials at Mass General that we're going to share that interview with you again. And health trivia and email questions later in the show. But now it's time for the news and our views. Why don't you take it away, Casey? I just love this part. A Maine judge has rejected the state's desire to keep a nurse in quarantine over Ebola fears. Instead, Judge Charles La Something, sounds Canadian to me, ruled that Casey Hickok's RN should continue twice daily direct active monitoring of her temperature and symptoms and coordinate any travel with state authorities so the monitoring can continue. The ruling is essentially what the CDC urges for people it considers at some risk of Ebola, those without symptoms but who have treated Ebola patients while wearing protective personal equipment. The state had wanted Hickox, who had worked for Doctors Without Borders, caring for Ebola patients in Sierra Leone. Thank you, Casey a stay in her home without any public contact until 21 days after her last contact with a patient. Also earlier in the week and upon return to the U.S., Ms. Hickox had been ordered to stay in a tent in New Jersey. Chris Christie, you are a pig. The tent was part of a quarantine put in place by the state of New Jersey. Your view, Shane, 30 seconds. So first off, the judge's name was Laverdier. Thank you. And that is Canadian because it's French for watery beer. <laughs> so you're right after all. <laughs> Ah, very good. All right. So my view on this, uh, I mean, it's not based on science. Thank you. So let's base things on science. If you are going to quarantine this poor girl, let's quarantine her as a hero. Let's get her a bubble bath at the Hilton. Let's treat her well. But ultimately, there's no need for her to be quarantined. That's right. And my view is this. Uh, Nancy Snyderman, who is a TV doctor, 
came back from Ebola. Now, is it because she's a doctor and the other one is a nurse? She came back from West Africa, sorry, treating, uh, talking to Ebola patients. She was not quarantined. She, they said she could do a self-quarantine. She actually left. They have her on film leaving. Her camera crew left. One of her camera people did test positive. And so they let the doctors free, but not the nurses. All right, so next, U.S. agency sues Honeywell over employee wellness testing. The U.S. Equal Employment Opportunity Commission has sued Honeywell International Incorporated to stop the company from imposing penalties on employees who refuse to undergo testing under its corporate wellness program. Wellness programs that encourage healthier habits have become, become increasingly popular in corporate America as they promise to improve productivity, cut absenteeism, and reduce medical costs. Such programs are also encouraged under the uh, new uh, ACA healthcare law. Honeywell employees could be penalized up to $4,000 each through surcharges and lost contributions to health plans if they or their spouses do not comply with biometric testing, according to the lawsuit which was filed on Monday in Minnesota. Okay. Okay, oh, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, Honeywell says a penalty of $4,000 is the absolute worst case scenario. It's because part of this is uh, part of their HSA accounts, their uh, health savings accounts. Uh, according to the lawsuit, employees and spouses are screened for blood pressure, cholesterol, blood sugar levels, waist circumference, and nicotine. What do you think? Well, here's what I think. I'm tired of the fact that employers who give you insurance feel that then they can mandate everything else in your life. Hands off my body. Because you give me insurance does not give you the right to tell me how I should lead my life, period. I think if there's incentives to become well and they want to make those incentives based on whether you get tested or not, that's fine. But if it's part of your already existing package, you shouldn't be able to penalize people for not undergoing blood pressure. Right, and they even affect your spouses. Get your hands off my people. All right, what's next? Okay, Fireball Whiskey recalled in three countries. I know this is going to be painful for you, Shane. Over antifreeze ingredient, Fireball Cinnamon Whiskey. Ooh, the name just sounds terrible to me. Is taking heat, no pun intended, in Europe over a chemical ingredient that's used in some forms of antifreeze. Why not? Norway, Sweden, and Finland have recalled the popular cinnamon-flavored liqueur, a trendy favorite of sweet tooth college students, after a batch of the North American recipe which contains higher levels of propylene glycol, was shipped there, its manufacturer said on Tuesday. The U.S. Food and Drug Administration says propylene glycol is generally recognized as safe for use in food where it is used to enhance flavor by absorbing water. Propylene glycol can have toxic effects in some circumstances, including for people suffering with pre-existing skin or eye conditions, according to the Agency for Toxic Substances and Disease Registry. In recent years, the substance has been used as a less toxic alternative to ethylene glycol and antifreeze, which was killing pets who lapped up the sweet-tasting engine fluid. But the Humane Society warns that propylene glycol is still toxic. Your view as a drinker of Fireball. Well, I mean, I've had it a few times. I can say that when you're drinking Fireball, it's a special kind of night. And <laughs> I should guess one in which you want to burn your insides and out. And on those nights, I really don't care if I have a little bit of antifreeze, to be honest. And, you know, on this point, I'm, I'm not a drinker, so um, I have to say it doesn't really affect me one way or another. But something called Fireball doesn't sound like something I'd want to drink. After that fiery subject, there's lots more show to come. Don't go away. We have Deborah Berger. You won't want to miss that interview. Mmm. Need to get some rest. This is the worst headache ever. Mmm. Right arms all tingly all of a sudden. Must have slept on the last night. I keep losing my balance. These old bones need some exercise. Granddaddy, what you just said doesn't even make sense. It sounds like gibberish. Signs like these could be more than what they seem. They could be a sign of stroke. Sudden weakness or numbness of the face, arm, or leg. Sudden trouble with vision in one or both eyes. Sudden trouble walking or difficulty with balance. Or a sudden intense headache that comes out of nowhere. If you or someone you know has any of these symptoms, don't wait. Call 911 immediately. You could make a difference in someone's life, someone you love, maybe even your own. Time lost is brain lost. Find out more at PowerToEndStroke.org. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Stroke Association, and the Ad Council. So, Jacqueline. Yes, Mom? I wanted to talk to you about something, and... Oh, wait. Hold on. I just got a text. Oh, there's another one. Wow. Busy, busy me. So, anyway... 
Oh, wait, Mom. I just got a message. My friends keep commenting on my comment. Oh, there's another one. So many comments on my comment. Oh, I can't wait to watch TV tonight. Playoffs! Hey, guys, check out my new video game. Pew, pew. Wait, wait. Mom, what? Huh? What? Hold What'd on. What'd you say? Wait a sec, what? This weekend... Unplug. Take your family to the forest. There's nothing in the world like experiencing nature firsthand. Trees, paths, bluebirds, streams. Getting closer to nature can get you closer to your family. To find the forest nearest you, go to discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. This is a medical alert. Area hospitals are spending millions of your healthcare dollars on everything but patient care. Unproven technology, Wall Street investments, even buying up other hospitals. Insurance companies and hospitals increase their profits at your expense by sending sick patients home too soon or pushing them into clinics with fewer staff and poor safety protections. When patients are discharged too early, hospitals make you and your family responsible for complex medical treatments. Hospitals then cut their staffs of bedside registered nurses, the health professionals most critical to your care and safety. You are strongly encouraged to demand that your hospital have sufficient numbers of registered nurses to assure patient safety and professional quality care. This has been a medical alert brought to you by National Nurses United, America's voice for registered nurses. We now return to your regularly scheduled program. All right. Well, let's just focus on tonight. Let's get through that. See how you feel tomorrow. It might be better. Are you one of those life coaches? Me? <laughs> uh, no. No, I'm just a nurse. There's no such thing as just a nurse. I've always wanted to be a nurse. In between, do I want to be a doctor or a nurse? And for me, the nursing was the part where they got to spend the most time with the patient. That was something I wanted to do. I wanted to be a caregiver. I wanted to make a difference in people's lives. When it comes to changing people's lives, I think that some of the things we do do touch and change people's lives forever. Welcome back to Nurse Talk. I'm Casey Hobbs along with Shane Mason, and we are two of the thousands of nurses on duty this very minute. We talked earlier about nurses being in the news these days, and of course we think nurses should be even more recognized in mm -hmm. media and in healthcare policy in this country. In a moment, we'll talk with RN and co-president national of National Nurses United, Deborah Berger. Deborah, along with executive director of NNU, Roseanne DeMauro, and her fellow nurse leaders have been all over the media lately and recently testified in front of the Congressional Committee on Oversight and Government Reform. After that hearing, NNU executive director DeMauro said this, we are not interested in more communication between various agencies. We are solely interested in a mandate directing every hospital, every U.S. health facility to immediately implement the optimal precautions in both personal protective equipment and proper training. Deborah, welcome back to Nurse Talk. Always a pleasure. So much has been happening regarding the nurses' fight to call attention to the Ebola preparedness or lack of preparedness in hospitals. So bring us up to date. What's occurring now? So right now, uh, the Kaiser nurses in California and uh, several other um, hospitals have issued strike notices, not only for um, the uh, preparedness, for lack of preparedness, and for uh, specialized equipment, but because of uh, various um, refusal to acknowledge that uh, patient care needs to be put before profit. So uh, we've issued strike notices for November 11th and 12th, uh, mostly in California, uh, but in uh, Washington, D.C. Uh, and so this is key because nurses are very, very concerned that their workplaces aren't safe and that they're actually safer outside the hospital than inside. Deborah, I have to say I have some personal experience with a, a dear family member who has intersected with Kaiser Hospital. And I've got to just say for the people out there, our care is broken in this country. Our, our hospital systems are absolutely broken. And what Kaiser is doing to patient care is egregious just egregious. It is. And the problem is, is that with Kaiser, they've added thousands of new members, luckily, through the Affordable Care Act. However, they, with their own data, show that they are uh, extremely short on personnel and are short about 2,000 plus 
registered nurses throughout the Kaiser system in Northern California. Wow. So let's talk about the petition in and you circulating right now. Do you mind telling us about uh, the, the petition and what, what sort of uh, demands that the nurses are making? Well, the petition that we're uh, asking people to sign at nationalnursesunited.org uh, is to President Obama. He's the only one that can use his executive authority to take action now and demand uh, protection for all healthcare workers. And it's very specific. We're asking for full body hazmat suits with uh, certain uh, requirements to avoid blood and viral penetration, and then uh, making sure that we have the right uh, protection for our faces and the ability to uh, provide care safely for our patients. So uh, the, the petition is key because it would take Congress a lot longer to get these requirements through, and um, time is of the essence. So President Obama is really the only person that can mandate um, the use of this equipment and mandate the CDC guidelines uh, and improve on those guidelines so that uh, all of the nurses are protected, so that our patients are protected, and so that the community is protected. How long do you think it'll take after the petition for things to go into effect? If uh, President Obama took action now, these could go into effect immediately. That's, that's the key. So, Deborah, back in early September, we had RN Bonnie Castillo on the show, and she was sounding alarms way before any of this ever happened. So you and the nurses knew this crisis in our hospitals was coming, it sounds like. Right. The thing is, is that the nurses had done a survey uh, early on when the World Health Organization declared uh, an international emergency. So we took that seriously and surveyed now over 3,000 registered nurses in the country. So all states are represented, the District of Columbia and the Virgin Islands. And what is alarming is that uh, the nurses have said that over 60 to 85 percent of the hospitals in their area are not prepared with the right equipment, mm -hmm. the education, the training that is necessary to protect our patients. Mm. So, Deborah, what do you think it took to get you in that chair in front of the Congressional Committee, and why is that so very important to all of us? Well, it's important that the nurses were out there at this hearing being listened to because we have the firsthand experience about what's actually happening in our hospitals. And we aren't the ones putting the happy face on it. We're not the ones that are trying to put a political spin on this. We're holding both Democrats and Republicans accountable to this public health care crisis. And the fact that uh, our employers nationwide uh, really aren't taking this seriously. The other thing is, is that a lot of this equipment that we're asking for and the training and education can really be transferable to any other disaster like tornadoes, earthquakes, um, any number of um, disasters that would happen in this country. So what's next and how can people find out about the petition? So what's next is we uh, are asking for uh, the public to help us with the National Day of Action on November 12th. We're going to be meeting at many uh, federal buildings and in front of hospitals, uh, and we're asking the public to support us. Um, if you go to... Um, our website, National Nurses United, you'll see uh, where the various actions are going to be happening across the nation. And we're asking people, um, even not nurses, to sign the petition because it's crucial that the president hear from all of us on protecting public safety. That's so important, Deborah. Can you just uh, articulate again, why is, are the nurses fighting so hard for these mandatory safety measures in hospitals? The nurses are really fighting so hard because our lives are at risk, our families' lives are at risk, and 
public safety as at risk if we fail to protect the nurses. So we are asking the public to help us help you protect public health. And Deborah, what would you say to someone that thinks that this is overkill? You know, you hear a lot in the media about how we're overreacting. Would you have a response to that? Uh, Yes, nurses aren't overreacting, and all you have to look at is the hospital in Dallas, Texas. They failed Mr. Duncan miserably. He didn't have to die. If they had treated him before... Um, he came before he came in that second time. He very likely would still have been alive. Then we had the two nurses that were uh, exposed and uh, contracted Ebola because they did not have the proper safety equipment. All of the other hospitals that have cared for Ebola patients have not spread it and have managed to have a successful treatment of Ebola patients in this country. So, Deborah, I wanted you to just talk a little bit about how it was for you um, doing that congressional hearing, because I know for me, I whew, all of those people, all of the press, that's pretty much being in the heat of the spotlight. How was that? Well, initially, I was uh, terrified. <laughs> However, I knew that I was speaking for all nurses in yes. this country that can't speak for themselves. And the fact was the legislators, our congresspeople, really did want to hear from us, the nurses that are at the bedside providing care for our patients. In fact, one congressperson said, you know, that the bureaucrats were talking happy talk while the nurses were actually giving the truth of what's happening in their facility. Mm -hmm. So that gave me the strength to be able to speak up for all nurses and for our patients and our communities. And don't you think there should be an official venue for nurses to be at the policy table on this issue? It doesn't seem like there is. Well, that's uh, really what uh, has been uh, making me very angry during this entire episode with Ebola. We have Uh, doctors' organizations, we have the American Hospital Association, we have uh, various, um, quote, nursing groups that uh, are out there on nursing policy, but what was lacking was an actual group that does represent direct care RNs with the people that are the boots on the ground that are providing the care. And because of this epidemic and because we have been proven right, we have fought for our right to be at the table speaking up on these issues for public safety. Which is great, Deborah. And it looks like finally the nurses are going to get their due in the public arena and our ability to speak and uh, say what's important. So is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners? Right. And what I would like to say is that we weren't given this position of authority. We had to fight to take it because Mm -hmm. many in power, including uh, some of the nursing groups, wanted to go along with many of the recommendations of the CDC and um, those politicians in power that were oftentimes saying that we were hysterical and overreacting. And because of our persistence, We have been proven right, unfortunately, and uh, we have been proven that what we're saying is the truth. Great. So we really appreciate Deborah. Always a pleasure. And for more information on this and other topics, visit www.nnu.org. We'll be right back with a rewind interview about the bionic pancreas trials. Stay with us. You're listening to Nurse Talk, where laughter is the best medicine. on the next episode of Recipes for Disaster. So we've got our neighbor Paul coming over tonight for a barbecue, which is why I prepared a delicious lemon rosemary steak marinade for my special collection of old family recipes. To make sure the steaks are extra, extra, extra tender, I left them marinating out on the counter overnight, just like Nana used to. Maria may mean well, but without food safety, it never ends well. Always thaw or marinate foods in the refrigerator at 40 degrees Fahrenheit or below. Or you could make your friends and family really sick. 
Maria's neighbor Paul didn't think twice about the steak he ate until he was presenting his company's financial forecast to the board. That's when a sudden bout of food poisoning made it explicitly clear that profits weren't the only thing on the rise. Watch Recipes for Disaster at foodsafety.gov. You'll learn the right steps as Maria does everything wrong. Brought to you by the USDA, HHS, and the Ad Council. Can you tell if this burger contains bacteria that could cause kidney failure? Listen. Can't, can you? You can't see it either. There's only one way to tell if you've cooked meat and poultry to a bacteria-killing temperature. Use a food thermometer. It's not an extra step or a nice to have. Raw or undercooked meat may contain bacteria that can make you very sick or worse. One in six Americans will get sick from food poisoning this year, and roughly 3,000 will die. But you can keep your family safer by using a food thermometer every time. Learn more about this and other important information. Check your steps at foodsafety.gov. That's foodsafety.gov. A public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Department of Agriculture, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. I banged my head really hard. It was scary. We were having a baby, but it wasn't going well. I had a heart attack. My husband was in the hospital. I was afraid he was going to die. This really nice lady kept telling me I'd be okay. Our baby was turning blue. I couldn't breathe. I thought I was a goner. Our nurse was there before we knew it. We were panicking. She wasn't. And today, we have a beautiful baby girl. Without my nurse, I wouldn't be here talking to you right now. Our nurse helped my husband, and she comforted me when I felt the most alone in my life. I did get better. Nurses are superheroes. Hello, I'm Deborah Berger, a registered nurse from National Nurses United. In the hospital, your nurse is your first line of protection and your last line of defense. Don't let hospitals deny you the care you need. Insist on a registered nurse. It's our registered nurses who put the care in healthcare. A message from National Nurses United, the voice of America's registered nurses. Welcome back to Nurse Talk, where laughter is the best medicine. We are nurses, so we cannot diagnose, prescribe, or treat. But listen to us anyway, because we like to talk. (laughs) Welcome back to Nurse Talk. I'm Casey Hobbs. And I'm Shane Mason. And since robots are cool and pancreases are cool, (laughs) we wanted to reshare an interview that healthcare reporter Jeannie Lynch did with Dr. Stephen J. Russell. Dr. Russell is the lead in bionic pancreas trials at Massachusetts General, so let's listen now. Well, we're talking about a disease that affects 10% of all Americans. This is diabetes, of which there are two types, type 1 and type 2. Now, about 1 million Americans have type 1 diabetes, and while a cure for type 1 diabetes is still far from sight, there is a big hope now with new research using what's called a bionic pancreas. Now, the goal is to live free of pinpricks, manual insulin injections, and keeping up with unpredictable blood sugar changes that result from things like daily activity and what you eat. Now, to better understand how this wearable device works, we have with us Dr. Stephen Russell, who is at Massachusetts General Hospital, and he is one of the primary investigators on this project. Thank you for joining us, Dr. Russell. Thank you for having me. So tell us, first of all, what is the bionic pancreas and how does it work? The bionic pancreas is an automatic device that checks the blood glucose every five minutes, 288 times a day, and gives either insulin to bring the blood glucose down or glucagon to bring the blood glucose up. And uh, by checking very frequently and having the ability to both raise and lower the blood glucose, it can respond to many challenges of blood sugar control and, and do a much better job of controlling the blood sugar than people are able to do with the tools they have available now. So it releases insulin and glucagon into the blood, is that correct? Yes. Yeah, so the way it measures uh, the glucose is with a continuous glucose monitor, a little sensor that goes in just about 
half a centimeter into the skin, and it's constantly measuring the sugar in the fluid between the cells of the skin. It sends that information to a computer that does calculations based on the blood sugar and how much insulin is on board, and it makes decisions about giving either insulin or glucagon, and they're given by regular insulin pumps into infusion sets, again, that go just uh, less than a centimeter into the skin, and from there, the insulin or glucagon is absorbed into the blood. Now, there's several parts to this bionic pancreas, correct? There are four or five parts to it? Describe the parts very briefly. So there's the continuous glucose monitor, and that uh, has a little sensor, a little wire coated with uh, enzymes that can be used to sense glucose, and that is inserted into the skin and gets connected to a little transmitter, and that transmitter sends signals by radio frequency to, at this moment, to a, a, a receiver, and the, the continuous glucose monitor, including the sensor, the transmitter, and the receiver, is currently commercially available. It's called the Dexcom G4 Platinum, and people with type 1 diabetes can use it to help monitor their own blood sugar. But they have to, of course, make all the decisions about what to do with that information. In our case, we have it connected to an iPhone, which acts as a portable computer. It runs a, an app that incorporates the mathematics that determine how much insulin or glucagon should be given. And then it talks to two pumps using Bluetooth technology, the same kind of technology that, for instance, you use to connect an earpiece to your mobile phone. But in this case, it's taking the information from the phone about how much insulin or glucagon to give. It's sending it out to two pumps. Right now we're using pumps from a company called Tandem. They're the Tandem T-Slim pumps and they have Bluetooth connectivity, and then they pump the insulin or glucagon through these thin catheters that go to infusion sets, little tubes that just end uh, about a centimeter under the surface of the skin. And so this whole loop of sensing the glucose, giving it to the iPhone app, making decisions, sending the information to the pumps, the pumps delivering the drug, that happens every five minutes and it's continually updating the, uh, the glucose information and therefore continually making new decisions about how much of the drugs to give. Steve Jobs would have been very proud of his iPhone. <laughs> you know, we're using the iPhone right now because it's a small, portable computer and because it has the wireless technology we need. But ultimately, we're going to integrate all of these components to a single device that will have two pump chambers, so it will give both insulin and glucagon from two different pump chambers. It will have the receiver for the continuous glucose monitor, and it will have the, the uh, mathematics on a chip that's resident in this device, and a screen and a, a user interface so that people can um, interact with the device. All that will be in a single device about the size of a current insulin pump. So it's, it's going to be not much larger than a current insulin pump, but it's going to do so much more for patients. And so this is a wearable device? A wearable device. It's something you would drop in your pocket or uh, use on a belt clip, something like that, yes. Now let's distinguish what kind of diabetics could use the bionic pancreas. Well, so far we've only tested it in people with type 1 diabetes. Those are the people who have the most trouble controlling their blood sugar and who have the biggest swings and are most at risk for dangerous low blood sugars. But we also think it could be very useful for people with type 2 diabetes who have reached the point of progression of their diabetes so that they have to have the same kind of insulin dosing that people with type 1 have. That is a basal insulin that, that lasts all day long and then taking a shot for every meal or every time they eat something. And for those people, we think the bionic pancreas would probably be a very good choice as well, and we have plans to test that in the future. Let's talk about the pros and cons of using this device. Start briefly with the pros, if you would. Well, the pros would be that uh, it, in our studies to date, we've shown that it controls the blood glucose much better than people are able to do with the tools that they currently have available. We've compared it to people using insulin pumps, 
and um, many of them, almost half of them, were using their own continuous glucose monitor to provide additional information, but they had to be the smarts. There was no computer telling them what to do, and, and they had to make uh, intermittent decisions about how much insulin to take or whether they had to take sugar to treat low blood sugars. The bionic pancreas does all of that automatically, and so it lowers the average blood glucose. In fact, everybody on the bionic pancreas was able to get an average blood glucose that met the targets set by the American Diabetes Association for prevention of complications. And at the same time, it significantly reduces the risk of low blood sugars, hypoglycemia. So that's a, that's a big plus right there, better blood glucose control. Um, the next thing, of course, is that it's able to make all these adjustments 24 hours around the clock. It's always watching, always vigilant, even when people are asleep or not paying attention. And that can really reduce the worry associated with going to bed and not knowing whether you're going to wake up low or, or even have a severe low blood sugar leading to a seizure or some serious consequence overnight when, when you can't mind your own blood sugar values. And then the final real pro is that having diabetes is a lot of work, uh, in particular for people who have to take these complicated insulin dosing regimens. And the system lifts all that load off their shoulders. It automatically takes care of all those adjustments, and you can get even a little better control if you tell it when, you're eat, when you eat and, and roughly the size of the meal, but you wouldn't have to count carbohydrates like people with diabetes do now where they have to count carbs to the gram, you just say, you know, this is a typical size meal for me, or this is a more than typical size meal for me. And then the system learns over time what that means for you, and it knows how much insulin to give. Is it fair to assume that this device could lead to a cure for type 1 diabetes? You know, I wouldn't call it a cure. I would just call it a very, very good treatment. Uh, the way I look at it, you know, I guess there's sort of levels of cure. It's really more of a, a continuum. Some people might feel that if they're able to wear a device and it takes the worry away and they get very good blood glucose control, um, that that's a cure. I, I think that would be stretching it a bit because you still have to change the batteries on this thing. You still have to uh, check the blood glucose once or twice a day to calibrate it. You have to fill the insulin and glucagon reservoirs. So I would really say that this is a, an excellent treatment. A cure would really be something that, you know, you, uh, that would change the immune attack that destroys the ability to make insulin. Um, and I think, unfortunately, we're probably kind of a long way from that. But in the meantime, this could provide really excellent blood glucose control, and it could prevent all those complications that people with diabetes fear, the eye problems that can lead to blindness, kidney problems that can lead to kidney failure, the nerve problems that can lead to foot ulcers and amputations. I think that this could prevent all of those things. Um, and I think it's also the important thing that you've emphasized is it really takes away the day-to-day -day burden of the management of, of diabetes off the shoulders of the patients because it's a 24-7 disease. Absolutely. I, I wonder how, how much more some, some of the... Uh, you know, brilliant people with type 1 diabetes could have accomplished if they didn't have to spend so much of their time just staying alive, protecting themselves from, from diabetes. Many people say it feels like having another job or at least another half-time job, just managing their blood sugar. And when it's high, they don't feel well and they're not as productive. When it's low, they have to interrupt whatever they're doing to treat the lows. It's really a very large amount of work and uh, just a constant... Uh, constant thing that people are having to think about and deal with in the midst of everything else they're trying to accomplish. And I think it's important, too, to emphasize, at least you should emphasize this, that diabetes can kill. It absolutely can. Uh, in the long run, of course, it can kill because of these complications. Uh, once you get kidney failure, the, uh, that dramatically increases your risk of death. But it can also kill in the short run. Uh, you know, a, a bad low blood sugar when you're driving or a bad low blood sugar at night can kill. The, the risk of dying with, uh, when you're an adolescent, uh, the risk of dying if you have type 1 diabetes is double that for adolescents who don't have diabetes. And there's this horrible syndrome called dead-in-bed syndrome, which is just what it sounds like. A parent will put their child to bed at night and come back in the morning and find them dead 
because they had a severe low blood sugar and had um, severe seizures, and they didn't survive the night. And uh, almost every parent with a kid who has diabetes tells you they never sleep the same again. Most of them get up at least once or twice a night to check the blood sugars. It really is a, a tremendous burden of worry that, that uh, people with the disease and their loved ones carry. Let, let's wind up this interesting conversation by talking about the status of this device and how soon we will find it on the market. Well, we have been pushing forward uh, very quickly, I think. We've, we've uh, accomplished a lot in a fairly short amount of time. We went from inpatient studies just a couple of years ago to now publishing our first outpatient studies recently in the New England Journal of Medicine, and we've now begun... Uh, true home use studies where we send the device home with uh, volunteers and we don't see them again for 11 days. So these have all been done with this initial device I described to you, the one with all the different parts that communicate wirelessly. Right now we're trying to raise money and build a, the fully integrated device and we hope that we will have that done by uh, the middle of next year and that we will be able to then plan our pivotal trials, the trials that are necessary to get approval by the FDA, and execute those trials in 2016 and give the data from those trials to the Food and Drug Administration. And, you know, how long it takes them to make a decision, we don't know. But if we say it takes them a year, then we could have this on the market as early as 2017. That would be, that would be the absolute earliest date, and a lot of things would have to go right, but that's what we're pushing for. And final and very important question, the cost of this device. Well, that hasn't been determined yet. I think it will inevitably be a little bit more expensive than current insulin pumps because it's a lot more uh, complicated. It'll have two, two insulin pumps. It'll have the continuous glucose monitor built into it. It'll have all the, um, the control algorithm, and there will be the need to have uh, continuous glucose monitor sensors on a regular basis, and both insulin and glucagon. Uh, but I, I can't tell you exactly how much it'll be. We hope it won't be too much more than the current cost of treatment. And uh, we think that that uh, uh, a slight increase in price could certainly be well justified by reducing or eliminating the complications, which are the real high cost of caring for people with diabetes. Okay, thank you, Dr. Stephen Russell. He's an endocrinologist at Massachusetts General Hospital, and we have been talking about the bionic pancreas. We'll be right back with health trivia and your email questions. You're listening to Nurse Talk, where laughter really is the best medicine. Hello, and welcome to today's lottery drawing. Good luck. And here's today's winning numbers. First one up, it's not yours. Second one not yours and another number that's not yours okay this is one number that's yours it's a five but you don't get any money for that and the final number is not yours yep so chances are you're not gonna hit the lottery anytime soon don't get us wrong the lottery can be fun every now and then just please don't rely on it for your future savings how about this brew your own coffee at home instead of buying that latte every day brown bag it to work instead of ordering in Ride your bike instead of buying all that gas. These changes alone can save you thousands a year. Thousands. Small changes today, big bucks tomorrow. Feed that piggy bank. Go to feedthepig.org for more free ideas on how to save. Feedthepig.org. This message brought to you by the American Institute of Certified Public Accountants and the Ad Council. My dad came to live with us last month, and you know, it's going pretty well. I feel like I never have time for myself. With him being around more, it really lets us catch up on things. His memory isn't what it used to be. We get up and we have coffee. He usually wakes up at 4.30. Then we go for a walk. He needs lots of my attention. I do need to keep an eye on his medications, though. That's important. Sometimes I feel like a pharmacist. I'd say John and the kids are adjusting pretty well. They honestly have no idea what I'm going through. It can be a little challenging. Help. But so far, so good. I could really use just a little help. For those dealing with the daily struggles of caring for a loved one, we hear you. That's why AARP created a community with experts and other caregivers for advice, tips, and support. Together, 
Let's help each other better care for ourselves and the ones we love. Visit aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Nurse Talk, where laughter is the best medicine. So, Casey, I was trying to come up with a joke for the uh, disclaimer that we do, and uh, all I have to say is all materials relating to health trivia are the sole responsibility of Nurse Talk LLC. They're not affiliated with any network or stream service in our show. Our health trivia question this week is, what is a staph infection? And staph is spelled S-T-A-P-H. Not S-T-A-F-F. Because there are so many staph infections where I work, that's for sure. Anyway, if you know the answer to this week's question, or you're the first to look it up and email us, you'll win a $25 gift certificate to Starbucks. So you can email us at contest at nursetalksite.com, or you can tweet us at hashtag NTContest. Our question last week was, what is the most common procedure performed during a hospital stay? And I got it wrong. I, it's not what I thought it was. The answer It's is, not what I thought it was either, Shane. I would not have said blood transfusions if you had pulled me. Yeah, I would have guessed uh, vaccinations and inoculations, but it me is too. blood transfusion. So there was 2.81 million transfusions last year. Wow. And 1.83 prophylactic vaccinations and inoculations. Shocking. Just shocking. Yes, who knew that there were that many transfusions? So that's a good time to tell people, donate blood. So it's a good thing that you can do. So our winner this week was Gwen Ferguson listening on Progressive Voices Tune In. Uh, we thought it would be fun to see how doctors answer medical questions. So here are a few we found in someone else's mailbag. All right. So the first question is, I've heard that cardiovascular exercise can prolong life. Is this true? And this is an answer from an MD. Your heart is only good for so many beats, and that's it. Don't waste this. them on exercise. I love this guy. Can I go kiss him? Everything wears out eventually. <laughs> Speeding up your heart will not make you live longer. That's like saying you can extend the life of your car by driving it faster. Want to live longer? Take a nap. Now, what I love about this is because I actually thought if I drive my car faster, I'm a firm believer in driving faster is good for mm -hmm. your car, and it would increase the longevity of your car. So... I think this guy's wrong because I like to exercise too. And come on, how could that be bad for you? Yeah, I think what this guy's failing to keep in mind is that when you exercise, your resting heartbeat, the other 23 hours and 30 minutes a day is lower. Actually goes down. So you actually have less heartbeats if you speed your car up. Right, exactly. So driving fastest. So for all you people driving in the slow lane, get out of the slow lane. Yes, yeah, so this get guy into obviously the fast not, lane. he's not a brain surgeon. Yeah. Okay, the second question, Shane. Should I cut down on meat and eat more fruits and vegetables. Love this guy too. Answer, you must grasp logistical efficiencies. What does a cow eat? Hay and corn. <laughs> and what are these? Vegetables. So a steak <laughs> is nothing more than an efficient mechanism of delivering <laughs> vegetables to your system. Need grain? Eat chicken. <laughs> Beef is also a good source of field grass, green leafy vegetables. That's right. Although we're not eating their poop. And a pork chop can give you 100% of your recommended daily allowance of vegetable <laughs> products. That's what could awesome. a hot dog do, I wonder? Uh, that's I love that one. The next question is, hey, Doc, should I reduce my alcohol intake? Oh, you're going to love this answer. So Shane. answer A, no, not at all. <laughs> wine is made from fruit. Brandy is distilled wine. That means they take the water out of the fruity bits so you get even more of the goodness that way. <laughs> Beer's also made out of grain. Bottoms up. <laughs> I love this guy's thinking. And, of course, nothing about what it does to your body and how you can shock the crap out of your liver by drinking straight brandy. You're going to take the water out of the fruity bit. <laughs> I love this guy. Where'd they get these doctors? And how old was he? What, 96? Yeah, all these people probably live forever. There's... Okay, the next one. How can I calculate my body fat ratio? Well, if you have a body, you have fat. Your ratio is one to one. If you have two bodies, your ratio is two to one. I love this because this is about how much math I can do in any given space of time. So I love that. The next time the doctor asks my body fat index, I'm going to say it's a one to one. It's a one to one ratio. <laughs> it's a one to one ratio, doc. I don't know what else I can say. All right. So the next question is, what are some of the advantages of participating in a regular exercise program? Oh, the boy. answer is... I can't think of a single one. Sorry. <laughs> My philosophy is no pain, good. 
Oh, that is too much for Hollywood. I just love that. Where do they get these doctors? What is it? The uh, nursing home down the yeah, street yeah, yeah. for retired, retired doctors? doctors? Yeah. <laughs> so the next question is: Will sit-ups help me help prevent me from getting a little soft around the middle? Oh no! A definitely not. <laughs> When you exercise a muscle, it gets bigger. You should only be doing sit-ups if you want a bigger stomach. So weirdly oh. enough, there is some truth to this. There answer, is a little truth extremely... that the muscle gets bigger. However, that's how you get a six-pack, Doc, not a big fat belly. Outrageous. That was pretty dang funny. So this actually makes me think of, have you seen this, Casey, online where you can go to these sites and you can type in a question and then an MD will answer the question, but only when you've bid enough money that one of the MDs sitting around is, it's so you'll be like, I want to know if, if this rash is bad and I'll pay $7. And, and you can put up a picture of it? You can put up a picture, you can talk about whatever. And I'll pay seven bucks for it? And yeah, is it and working you, and people are doing this? Yeah, I've gone on those. I've gone on those sites just to look to see what it's all oh, about. Oh, I and wondered what your question was. Now, <laughs> <laughs> what the heck did you pay to have answers? And it's funny because sometimes people won't. They'll be like, "I'll pay four dollars for this," and no one will answer. And then they'll come back and be like, "Okay, I'll pay seven. And some doctor will answer for seven answer, bucks. Yeah, but not four dollars. <laughs> what is it, PayPal? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. How, isn't that so? What do you think about that phenomenon? I think that's pretty interesting, and I think it's a good way to get answers asked and uh, questions asked and answered. It's quite fascinating. We're going to have to get some more details on this. You can do that with lawyers too. <laughs> you can, seriously? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you can now, I like it better for lawyers because they charge so much. So for simple, easy questions like, can I get my divorce online or something like that, I that no makes I better sense. I noticed most of the doctor questions, it looks like people that just, they have no other recourse. They have no insurance, right? Yeah. Or, and what were the questions like? Like, give me an there's example. There's lots of STD questions, lots of questions that were posted at like one in the morning on a Friday night and someone's <laughs> yes, just like, oh, yes. my friend just did this stupid thing. Do you think they got AIDS? I'll give you 12 bucks if you tell or me. Or I bet you more questions like this. Uh, I have a drug test in the morning. Yeah, How long yeah. until cocaine is out of my yeah, system? Yeah, lots of stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, I bet. And then the doctors are just cutting in pasting the same answer over and just cash and paychecks. Yeah. <laughs> well, if they're only seven or 10 bucks at a pop, yeah, I can't yeah, imagine. And I wonder what caliber of doctor is really online answering those questions. Or who who even says it's a doctor? Because there's no vetting in this process. I don't know. If, I don't, yeah, so I wonder if nurses are know. just answering the questions and, you know, or, or actually there's, there's my next job. I'm going to go online and start answering just the sit questions. sit at home and impersonate a doctor sit at and home answer and questions. Say, this is uh, Casey, uh, Dr. Ben Casey. And your answers <laughs> as they are in the show will just be, you're going to die. You're going to die. You're going to die. $7. No, $7. No, $7, no my $7. answer is going to be try rolling a six-foot ball across the country yeah. to, ways, to raise awareness for testicular like cancer. Week, heat up a needle super hot and plunge <laughs> yeah. it into hey, your toe. That really does work, though, I'm telling you. Some of those home remedies really do work. <laughs> There's no question. That's our show for today, Shane, and a special thanks to the California Nurses Association and National Nurses United for their support of Nurse Talk. To learn more about today's topics, visit www.nursetalksite.com or nationalnursesunited.org. A great big thank you to our executive producer, Patty Lockard, Dennis Cruz, and the team at TalkStream Network, Taylor Lockard, Social Networking, and Progressive Voices TuneIn, and all of our other wonderful broadcast partners. Remember to laugh, you got to listen, to listen, you got to tune in. See you next week. We love you. Thanks for listening to Nurse Talk, where laughter is the best medicine. Brought to you by National Nurses United. Check us out on Facebook or go to our website at nursetalksite.com. For more information about National Nurses United and the California Nurses Association, visit nationalnursesunited.org. Until next week, remember, laughter is the best medicine.